2 Corinthians 5, He who knew no sin, He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. You are listening to the Braveheart Podcast. For more information about Braveheart Ministries, visit braveheartministries.org. You guys see that this is the outcome of our faith? What is our faith in? Our faith's in the works, right? And then when I put my faith in the works, what happens? So what happens when I put, what, what is, if this is the outcome, or picture dominoes, you know dominoes? What, what's the domino effect when someone puts their faith in the works of Jesus? Grace. It's right here. So there's a, there's a re, it's, it's in an order. It's in a real order, specifically. It's not random. This isn't just like, oh, you can put this in any order. Like when you get born again, you don't automatically bear all the fruit. When you put your faith in the promises, you don't automatically experience fruit. You automatically experience grace. And grace is the power of God, remember? And it saves you. Now salvation and righteousness, I want you to see, are two sides to the same coin. Okay? If I'm saved, that means that it's the removal of sin and death and the power of the evil one. That's salvation. If you save someone, you're saving them, you're you're removing negative effects from them, right? Are you with me? Salvation speaks of negative effects being removed from that person. But righteousness, the gift of righteousness is the nature of God conferred upon us as a gift. It's different. It's connected, but it's different. And so, so many, many believers are saved, but they haven't received this gift. And so they're grateful, but they never know if they're right with God. Many of you in this, in this room feel that way. You never quite know, like you don't wake up feeling God's pleasure and His affection. There's a question mark. Where am I at with him? Did I? And there's a whole list of things that you you build up in your conscience that maybe make you feel like you're not right with God. And when your conscience gets defiled, when your conscience gets defiled, Hebrews says that we begin to perform dead work to try to perfect our conscience to get back in good graces with God which comes all the way back to the fall and what happened in the garden, right? The first thing that happened before man man committed sin and got in bondage to sin, he was hiding from God's presence because of of how he saw himself. He was naked and ashamed, fearful, right? So if the the two things that happened, one, our nakedness was exposed and we hid from God, then, because of this, we began to sin, and we got in bondage to sin. And this was, a, this was a domino effect of the fall of man, right? It went from eyes open, saw that they were naked. It was a domino effect. They didn't immediately get in bondage to sin. 
it was set in motion, but they didn't immediately start wilding out and like, are you guys with me? And so it took time for the full bondage of sin to take over humanity, death and rebellion and wickedness. But it started here. So when we look back at the gospel, we see that, that the gospel itself, the works of Jesus, has to solve both of these problems. There's two problems that have to be solved. Bondage to sin, this is all of the stuff, the sins we do that we don't want to do. That's, that's all the stuff we identify as sin, right? That's bondage to sin. Like, man, I can't help it. Before you were saved, you couldn't help it. You were in bondage to sin. Why? Because you, you grew up hiding from His presence. And so the blood, the cross, forgiveness is to free you from this, to break this power. That's salvation. You're saved. You're saved from sin and death, right? But you can see if you're saved from sin and death, you still you still can feel naked and exposed, meaning you're no longer sinning or, you, or you're saved or you're forgiven from your sin, but unless you're clothed in His righteousness, you won't actually enjoy a relationship with Him. Because you can't get back into that place of intimacy that they had in the garden where, remember, we spent time thinking about this. They, they weren't aware of themselves in the garden. They could be with God naked and unashamed. And that's the goal. Like, that's what, that's what relationship is. And all I'm, I'm submitting to you that all of your ministry and Christian fruit will come from an intimate relationship with God. And this, this is the big shift, I believe, that most people think that the gospel is just this. That's why we, when we say, like, when your friend asks you, like, well, hey, you're, you know, start to date someone, well, is he saved? Yeah, is he saved? Is she saved? You want to know, like, you're going to go into business with someone. Are they saved? But the real question is, are they like Jesus? That's a better, that's a better, more appropriate litmus test for someone who's, who's a believer is, well, do they look like Jesus? You can be saved like Israel and you can be rebelling in the wilderness in unbelief. Right? Israel was saved, 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 saved from death, from Pharaoh, from their past, from bondage to slavery. They were saved as saved can be. They couldn't get any more saved, but they were still in that wilderness, wandering around in unbelief, acting in wickedness, complaining to God, grumbling. He's with me. You see the picture? So that's why you say, well, how come believers can be saved but still experience all this stuff? It's because, it's because of this. They're grateful, but they haven't received the gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness is for you. That's why it's called a gift. It's for you. God gave it to you. Why? Why would he give you the gift of righteousness? So I, I want you guys to see that righteousness is a really big deal you receiving the righteousness by faith, the gift of God, is really important and it's connected to your relationship and the depth of intimacy you have with God. If you're in unbelief as to the gift of righteousness, I promise you, you live with a defiled conscience and you never quite know if you're doing enough. I promise. There's never enough. There's never enough Christian activity that you can do that will make your conscience feel like 
while I'm right with God. The only thing that can satisfy and bring you peace is the justification that comes by faith and you become the righteousness of God. Like where you own it, where you wear that robe and it's not something that, oh, that's just how God sees me. If it's just how God sees you, then that righteousness is for him and not for you. Right? If, if our righteousness will, well, I'm just right, that's just how he sees me. It's not how he sees you. You're either righteous or you're not. If it's just how he sees you, then you're still a sinner. And when he calls you righteous or when he gives you the gift of righteousness, then it doesn't really actually work. It's just for his perspective. It's just a lens in which he looks at you, at you through. Are you with me? This is what's been communicated and conveyed is that we're not actually inwardly righteous. We're only uh, perceived righteous by God. If that's the case, then we have no hope of actually manifesting righteousness. We're just relying upon his lens. It's really important. There's a difference when you receive the gift as your own. And you see that that 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin, he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God so that you could become the righteousness of God. Like he wants you to so receive his righteousness as a gift that when you walk into a room, you're 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 aware you have ownership, not because you're arrogant, not because you're crazy, but because you have faith in what he did. You walk in as the righteousness of God in Christ. When you walk into a room, you carry it. When you walk into his presence, you carry it. Because you've received it humbly as a gift and you know no matter, no uh, number of obedience or, or checking the right boxes or praying enough could make you as righteous as the Son Himself. Only that can be received by a gift attached to His works. You recognize it for what it is. So yes, you will be tempted. Why? Because we live in the world, right? And we still, we still do have flesh. But what the gospel does is it gives you 100% permission to live by the Spirit. And your Bible says those who walk by the Spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As you you recognize the areas of your life that have been touched by the fall of man, you'll see when you really see the gospel and we begin to unpack the works of Jesus, you'll see that you have permission... Your, your litmus test should be, can I see Jesus being angry right now? Can I see Jesus lusting after a woman or a man right now? Where, where it becomes, we so identify with the nature and the likeness of Jesus, where those things, be, they feel foreign and alien to us. Because we've so learned to identify with the nature and likeness of Jesus by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. Because now we've been born of God, and so we have permission to renew our minds to go, wow, if I've been born of God, John 1, born of God, you, you literally, the gospel does not give you permission to stay a mere human. How is God going to give birth to something that's not like him? So what some people do, though, is they feel condemned when I say that. They feel, they feel like, oh, but I'm not living that way, or oh, that creates a pressure for me. No, that's why we're putting this. It's only by grace. What I'm describing here, Christ-likeness, this, the fruit that I want in your life is Christ-likeness. 
That should be your, your, your goal for the fruit of your Christian walk is Christ-likeness. It's the litmus test. That's how you really tell if, if you're being rooted and grounded in the gospel and the word of God. If you study this, anyone who engaged with Jesus in his word and the gospel became like Christ. In thought, in deed, in action, in emotions. Mere, mere men started walking like God because they engaged with the works of Jesus. So this is the litmus test for us today is no longer is he saved? Did he pray a prayer? Does he look and walk like Jesus? Does, does his mannerisms, does the way he, like, can you see Jesus in him? Can you feel his presence and his love and his tenderness and his compassion through that individual? That's the litmus test for a believer is Christ-likeness. Yeah, it just depends on where you're at because Luke 15, all the tax collectors and sinners were drew near to Jesus and he held company with them. Why? Because he was a righteous spring. His life, he was grounded as a son. His life wasn't going to be polluted by other people's carnality, right? So, yes, it, for a brand new baby Christian who's maybe still learning to walk and talk and, you know, like my little 18-month-old, like he walks like this, you know, like we walk like this. Like we can manifest more, more humanness than he can, but he's still fully human, <laughs> right? He, he's like, ah, you know, he gets on the couch and he wants to watch baby Einstein and he throws his little big boss baby self up, leans back against the pillow and starts pointing. Well, when he grows up, he can manifest more of what a human is like by using words, by talking, by running. Right. It's like that with Christians. Many of us were trying to imitate Christ and we're like, you know, we're just barely toddling. But the goal is that you grow up into Christ collectively as a group. We mature into the head and we look and talk and breathe and act like him. You see the vision for it? You see the vision for your life? Because then no matter what you do, here's the thing, guys. Here's why this is so important. No matter what you do, if this is your goal, if relationship and intimacy knowing that it's going to produce Christ-likeness, you'll never be tempted by ministry. Oh, come get on this platform or come do this great opportunity. You can't tempt someone with that who's content in relationship and Christ-likeness. It doesn't matter if I'm, if I'm cleaning toilets or in a pulpit. Like, I'm content because I wake up and I like Him. I, I, I see His likeness. I've been born of Him. I'm in relationship with Him. That's the source of my joy in life. What, let me ask you, what greater affirmation or platform can you get than being a son or a daughter of God? Right. Only if you haven't, if you don't truly acknowledge or, or, or believe that you've been born of God, would you try to find your affirmation in something else? Like only a platform would entice you if being born of God's not really being born of God. Come on, you're like, hey, uh, Guess what? The good news is you can be born of God into his family and that your connection with him is that of a father to a son, a father to a daughter. What greater affirmation or love or encouragement or strength can you have than that? That God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's your daddy. You can't get any closer to him by faith than, than you, you can't. Like, have you wrestled with that? Like today, this morning, you can't get any closer to God than what Jesus can bring you? You can't get any more in love with God than what, than what Jesus has already brought you. He's brought you face to face with God. 
It's the most privileged place. Like, think about this. In a moment, we could leave this place. I could leave you. I could go into my car, and I could be face-to-face with the living God. Truly. For me. And I could engage and interact with Him. The same one that parted the Red Sea. Like, when we pray, I think about that. When I'm praying sometimes, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm talking to this, this God who parted the Red Sea. And I, and I bring that to remembrance. Why? Because I'm, I'm bringing what's going on in my heart in light of who my God is. And I'm thinking, man, you, you split that sea, and I'm worried about a light bill. It's just like all of your, all of your issues, they're just like, mm. and you're like, if you're my dad... So not only do you have the power, because many of us believe he has the power. We don't, we don't believe he has the willingness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is where I want to get, because you guys asked me this question. I'm about, to, I'm about to mess with you. Because this is, this, is the, this is the best thing when you truly receive this. Because many of you asked the question about chapter 5, about prayer, right? Wave at me if you asked that question. About, when, about receiving things from God and, and how you posture yourself towards God. Remember that? Okay. So let me ask you a question. I need, I need all, all ears and eyes and hearts here. Um, when you received Jesus, everyone in here has received Jesus, I hope. Yes. When you received him initially, where were you at on the deserving scale, biblically? Enemies. Huh? The enemy. Enemy. Okay, so this is, the, this is the deserving scale. Okay, this will be the, you guys know math? You guys know math? I think this is the X, Y axis. Y. Okay, okay. And this is the X, wait a minute. We'll do this. This is the value scale. And this is the deserving scale. Okay, so the x-axis is deserving. So if this is very deserving, and this is the least, you can't get any less deserving than this on the x-axis. Where were we when we received Christ? Zero, zero. Zero here, right? Okay, so we were here. Okay, now this is a value scale. We're gonna, this measures the value of something. Of what value or worth is Christ? So this up here, this top, for the sake of our thing, this is going to be infinite or the highest value, and down here is going to be no value. Okay? So like this would be like a pen or something, or less than that, you know? <laughs> like, a, like, a, like a, oh, I know what it is. Like a used Kleenex. <laughs> Okay, so that's, you could still use a, I've used a used Kleenex, but, so this is infinite value. This is no value. What value is Jesus at the top? Okay. So I want, I want you to see something. Romans 5.8. This is Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were sinners in the least value, He died for us. So we were, we, He not only died for us, but He was given to us. It was, a, it was a gift. Like how many of you know Jesus was given to humanity, right? Not only His death, burial, and resurrection, but His very life and essence through the gospel, through the Holy Spirit, is given to humans, Right? 
So, okay, so let's, let's move along the scale. We get born again, and, and we start, this over here is the big brother, okay? He, the Bible says, my Bible says in Luke 15 that he never disobeyed, and he worked faithfully. And he, and he says something, he's, he's bringing his resume to his daddy, and he says, yet you never gave. So he's, he's pointing to this, and then he's, he's questioning the givingness of his father, the willingness of his father to give that which he knew his father had to give. You guys know God has power to give you whatever, right? You guys believe that. So, but like the older brother, I think we stumble sometimes because we're looking at this, at our resume, our circumstances, how much we prayed, how much we believed, and we're valuing this above this. If he gave, let's just say this, if he gave you something of infinite value when you were the least deserving, he, gave, he, he actually gave him to you when you were least deserving. He gave Christ to humanity. Then tell me, what, what can we not receive from God if we value Jesus above all things? How would you stumble over a million dollars? How would you possibly think a million dollars would be better than Jesus? When people stumble over like, like I get there's manipulation with the prosperity gospel. I understand that. I think it's whack and weird. But when people say, well, God can't give you, God's not going to give you a million dollars. You're like, he gave you Christ. He gave you Christ. If you, if you stumble over money and receiving believers, receiving money freely as a gift, they didn't work for it. It proves to me that your value system is money and then Jesus. How can you receive Christ? Tell me. How can you receive Christ when you didn't deserve it unless you didn't actually receive Him? It's only if you don't receive Him. But if you receive Him when you least deserve it, He, he completely crushes our value system. Because in our mind, we want to be deserving before we receive. We want to be deserving. We only measure our receiving from God. We're only comfortable receiving to the extent that we work. We don't like receiving more than what we worked for. It, it bothers us. It bothers our flesh. Because our flesh takes pride in what we receive because then we can say we earned it. But you didn't earn Christ. You were in full-on rebellion against God and you say you received Him. So the question goes, well, then how do I, you know... How do I receive things from him? The extent that you value Christ, you can receive all things. The Bible says that. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Well, come on, Peter. No. All things. What's all things? But it's only to the extent that we have that we learn to value Christ. If Christ, he see, he's not. He's a he's a good dad. He's not going to give you something that you value more than Christ. 
if you value your breakthrough or the thing you're praying through, the salvation of your brother or your whatever more than Christ, it's no different than the big brother valuing his work more than the willingness, the willingness of his dad to give him. His dad said, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. He was too busy working instead of asking his dad, hey, dad, could I have a goat? His dad would have been like, yeah, you're my son. But see, he kept over here working. Why? Because his mindset was, if I work, he'll give. You say, well, no, how do you know that, Peter? Because he said, I worked and never disobeyed, yet you never gave. So in his mind, he was convinced that his work and his obedience to his dad was to provoke his dad to give him something. And his dad said, no, 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 no. Me giving to you has nothing to do with that. I'm, I'm grateful for that. My giving to you has to do that you're my son. You're in my family. So what I'm trying to do with you guys is go, man, listen, you're in God's family. You're in his family. You can't, you can't get more access. You can't get more privilege. You can't get more favor. You can't get closer to God. And so when you just go and enjoy him, man, this messed my prayer life up. I'm like, I can't even, I don't even know what to pray for. I don't. Because I'm like, when I'm with him, here's the, here's the feeling. When I'm with God and I know that I know that I know that he's with me, that like I'm with my dad, all the stuff I'm worried, like I'll be thinking about like finances or I'm like, I'm like, oh man. And then I'm like, oh man. And I don't even, it like, it's like just a passing thought. Like I don't even bring it in prayer. I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm with you. Like it's going to be okay. And you say, well, Peter, does this play out? I'll give you a real life example. Uh, last year, beginning of 20, what's it? 18. The Lord spoke to me out of Isaiah 61, seven. And it says this, it says, instead of your shame, I'll give you a double portion. And the Lord asked me, the father asked me that morning, he said, son, what's your shame? And I said, Lord, it's our credit card debt. My my wife and I, we had credit card debt at that time. $15,000. It's real. And what I do, like, it's not like the more people that get saved, like you get bonuses, right? Like, it's just, just running, you know? And, and so... I'm like, it, it weighed on me. This debt weighed on me. And, and he spoke to me and he said, I'm, I'm not going to just take your shame away, remove 15000 I'm going to give you a double portion in its place. In two days of last year, we received $18,000 <coughs> randomly as a gift to pay off our credit card debt. It's real money that paid off real debt from this real place. You say, ah, no, come on, no, no. It's re- and it took, it took 10 months. I was carrying that word since January. I didn't do anything different. I didn't minister any different. I just held on to that word and go, you're a good dad. And you spoke it to me. You with me? Um, okay. Any thoughts on that? So, so you, the question is, what do I do? You enjoy fellowship with God. And here's what I will tell you. It takes time. It takes time to value Jesus above all things. It takes, it takes time to get your heart in a place. You go, man, you know what, Lord? If you never come through for me here, I'm going to trust you. If you never, like, I thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for, thank you for making me born into your family. Like, that, that really is the best thing. God, I'm grateful for all these other things, but I'm to live as Christ and to die as gain, and I'm, I'm in covenant with you. That's the cry. And I promise you, when you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, 
everything else. I hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast. For more resources, visit braveheartministries.org.